Planes go up. Planes go down. What planes don't do is just vanish off the face of the earth. That is a bit of the trailer for the new documentary on Netflix about Malaysia Airlines Flight 370. It was nine years ago last Wednesday that that plane just disappeared. Now, I have not invested the three hours in the documentary yet. It's on my watch list, but I know that at the end, they still don't really know exactly what happened with that plane. Um, Gord Halwadi is is a listener and uh, emailed me last week telling me that his daughter and wife were supposed to be on that plane. Gord, come on in here. Good morning. Good morning. How crazy is that, huh? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, and we were... uh, nine years later, so on the anniversary, nine, oh, I'm going to read uh, what your daughter posted uh, about it on, on social media, but, I mean, you all must just thank your lucky stars that that change in their itinerary happened. Exactly. My youngest daughter got a text, actually, because a day difference in time, the time zone. She texted mom and said, are you guys okay? And uh, they didn't know about the crash at that time where the missing plane. So it, uh, it was a crazy time. Hmm. Here's what your daughter uh, posted on social media. Most of us have a story or two about having a close call with death, and I hope that causes you to stop, reflect, and be grateful. Every year on this day, I'm reminded of what could have been and feel for those, uh, for all of those who still don't have answers about their loved ones. A simple last-minute change in a flight itinerary that allowed for a better sleep and a shower before the long journey home from Thailand via Kuala Lumpur was all the difference for my mom and I. We both wear a matching small silver pendant that I bought in a quaint jewelry shop on our last day. It's uh, for good luck and to remember our trip together. I remember saying, whatever uh, merit you put into symbolism, luck, fate, and reasoning, sometimes it's worth it to have just a little bit. H- how do you look at it, uh, Gord? What do you, how do you um, look at this situation? Your daughter, your wife are, are alive and well nine years later, and all those people still missing. Yeah, it's, uh, it would have changed our life, I guess. But uh, for all those people that have no answers, it's not... Uh, you know, it's not right, but I don't know. They're trying to find it, I guess, somewhere. Yeah. Have you approached, has your daughter and your wife and you, have you approached life differently after that close call? Because it really is an incredible close call. You can chalk it up to fate, luck, whatever. But, I mean, your life could have been much different on that day had just, you know, that minor change not been made. Yes, exactly. Uh, daughter got married that summer. As a grandchild, what have yeah. you told me to? Yeah, incredible. Well, listen, Gordy, just I, I appreciate the email when you reached out to me. I thought, wow, this is uh, you know a close call, and your daughter's right. Many of us have those stories that we can tell about us or, yeah. or a loved one or a friend where there was a close call or what you know those what ifs, right? And and this is uh, this is an incredible what if for your daughter and your wife and and for you as well on the nine-year anniversary, nine years after that uh, plane, plane went missing. Gord, I appreciate your time today. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye. All right, Gord. Uh, Gord 
Palawati, uh, who is a listener, emailed me saying, hey, Hal, you won't believe this. My, my daughter and wife were meant to be on that plane. This documentary does look excellent. I want to play the rest of the trailer. You heard a little bit there at the beginning of the conversation with Gord. I want to play um, the rest of the trailer here because, as I said, it is on my watch list. We have breaking news. Malaysia Airlines confirms it has lost contact with a plane carrying 227 passengers. It seems to have vanished into thin air. What do we tell the family members? What do we tell the media? My daughter asked me, where is Papa? It's just so unimaginable. I felt completely shattered. I lived in denial about the plane having some sort of crash. The monde s'arrête, quoi. Tout d'un coup, je dis, mais c'est pas possible. C'est un cauchemar. Réveillez-moi. What happens next is like a rip in the fabric of reality. Theories about the missing plane are going viral. It's possible it was hijacked. We don't know. This very mysterious and very suspicious cargo. The pilot's home flight simulator was removed by police. I have the real evidence. It's there, and you can't deny that. Never in history have 239 people been declared dead on the basis of mathematics alone. Some debris has been found. Who planted there? Who brought the peace there? Ils se foutent de nous. Ils se moquent de nous. They are lying from the beginning. They are lying to the whole world. MH370 is not just an unsolved mass murder. It's potentially an act of war. How is it possible for an airline to disappear out of thin air? Someone knows the answer. The question is who? An incredible mystery. Nine years later, and we still don't have the answer. Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. And the hardworking employees can breathe easier as well. U.S. President Joe Biden this morning calming the nerves of Americans after the number two and number three biggest bank failures. Uh, it started with uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Another one has failed. Markets are down. And I know a lot of people, when they heard the news this morning, were asking the start, uh, our morning show here on CGOB, Oh, boy, what does this mean for us? What does it mean for our banking industry? Uh, Stocks are down uh, in Canada and the U.S. because of this. But let's bring in an expert. He's a Winnipegger, Brian Borzakowski, freelance financial writer and founder and editorial director of All Caps Content. Brian, good morning. Good morning to you. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. So do we need to worry here in Canada? I'm going to say no. We do not need to worry. First of all, markets actually were down this morning. They have jumped back up, so that's that's good news. The S&P 500 is actually up almost 1% today. Um, bank stocks are still down. Canadian bank stocks are still down. A lot of Canadians have bank stocks in their portfolio, so they might notice you know, a, a decline a little bit today. But the banking system in Canada is strong. Um, it's very different than what's going on in the U.S., and even the U.S. banking system is a lot stronger than it was in 2008. These are some really kind of um, niche situations. I mean, we'll have to see what happens, but uh, Silicon Valley Bank really catered to startups, and startups had a lot of money um, during the uh, pandemic, made a lot, put a lot of that money into their bank, Um, and with this particular 
particular bank, Silicon Valley Bank, what they did is that they put those deposits into bonds, which are supposed to be very safe. And uh, but interest rates rose um, over the last year, which we've talked about lots. Uh, interest rates rising. When interest rates rise, bond yields rise. But when bond yields rise, bond prices fall. And so um, when everybody started pulling their money out of the bank because there was word on the street in the Silicon Valley that, hey, maybe there's uh, an issue on liquidity with this bank, um, then uh, they couldn't cover those deposits. And that's what happened. The bank failed. If everyone just left that money in the bank accounts, it probably would be OK. But um, so it's sort of a unique situation. It's not 2008. A lot of people are worried about that. Um, even uh, it is the second biggest bank failure in the U.S., but it's still a much, much smaller bank than the things we saw, you know, Lehman Brothers, when that went uh, bust in 2008, it's it's a different situation. So, um, you know, something to watch, but nothing to cause panic over, especially in Canada, where we have a much more concentrated banking sector of these very massive, large banks, and there's no run on the banks here. Mm -hmm. You mentioned 2008. I guess for me, I'm not concerned about our banks in Canada, but I guess I am concerned when I see a U.S. bank fail. Now we've seen another one fail because this is kind of the way it all began in 2008, which we didn't see any bank failures in Canada, but boy, we sure felt the, uh, the, the waves from those bank failures and everything that followed in the U.S., yeah, we did feel it. And for sure, that is a reason to be concerned. However, it's again, it's different. Back in 2008, these were bad loans that people were making on these mortgage backed securities. There were risky mm -hmm. assets that a lot of these banks were involved in. And and then when you saw, you know, it, it's it's sort of complicated, but uh, with more the mortgage rates there were impacted by these mortgage backed securities. And um, they had these subprime mortgages that after basically like a year or so, the mortgages uh, increased a, a crazy rate that people couldn't pay and then started defaulting on their mortgage. And all these banks were holding these mortgage-backed securities. And once those defaults were happening, all those things kind of went bust. This, this is a completely different situation. It's not about sort of bad investments. It, in fact, it's sort of an interesting and, uh, you know, conceptually uh, problem because the, these, this bank was invested in bonds, uh, normal bonds, which are actually very safe and should mm -hmm. be part of a portfolio. But there may be issues now, uh, you know, regulated people are talking about regulations under the Trump era got more lenient. And, and so perhaps we'll see more regulations on smaller banks. But what's happening is a lot of these uh, people who are pulling their deposits are now putting them in bigger banks in the U.S. because they still feel those places are safe. So um, it, it's, it is different, um, even though people are sort of feeling the same. And these banks, even the Signature Bank, had a lot of exposure to crypto, and that's been very volatile late, lately. And, and, and startups, the technology sector has been volatile over the last year. So it is a different situation, even though it might feel as if something here is, uh, you know, bad is happening, and it's never good when a bank fails. But um, it's, a, it, you know, the, the mechanics of this are different than 2008, too. Mm -hmm. While I've got you, uh, where are the markets heading? Boy, it's been a difficult period of time. Uh, have we hit bottom yet? Are we going to see a bit of a climb back up again? Or we still have some uh, down left in this market? What are your thoughts? Well, I think, yes, probably like it, it, the bigger picture here, we're still the, what's driving the market still is inflation, rising interest rates. Um, those are the things that people are going to be paying attention to over the longer term. And uh, it's not clear. I mean, I would never you know, try and predict the markets, but I think mm -hmm. we're probably near the end of the, sort of this cycle where things, uh, you know, we've seen inflation, markets have fallen. Um, you know, they're down, uh, they're actually, the S&P 500 is actually up 1.76% on the year. So 
it's kind of flat, not really much up, but it's been up and down. Um, and I think we're going to have to wait and see when does inflation start getting under control? When don't we see those big numbers anymore? That could still be a while. And if that happens, if we still see those big numbers, the market's still going to be volatile. I don't know if it's bottom yet, but the real, the advice really is just, you got to stay invested for the long term. Don't panic yeah. on this news with the bank or else you never know when you're going to get back in and you'll end up losing out. You'll miss the days when it goes back up. Mm -hmm. Brian, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Taves wrote an essential novel about a radical act of democracy in which people who don't agree on every single issue manage to sit together in a room and carve out a way forward together free of violence. <laughs> they do so not just by talking but also by listening. The last line of our film is delivered by a young woman to a new baby and she says, your story will be different from ours. Manitoba author Marion Taves getting a shout out there from Sarah Pauly. Her movie, Women Talking, uh, Sarah winning Best Adapted Screenplay at the Oscars last night. Let's talk about the Oscars with the man who just brought you the news at 11 o'clock, Jeff Brown, because along with being a great news guy, he is also one of the couch potatoes. Uh, Jeff, any highlights uh, for you last night at the Oscars? Uh, for me, the biggest highlight was that it was a normal Oscar uh, telecast yeah. for the first time, and it feels like forever. I guess it's been probably three years, because uh, in 21, we had, of course, the, the COVID Oscars, and then last year, uh, uh, as silly as it sounds, that, that slap did kind of cast a pall over the proceedings and just made a mm -hmm. weird uh, night of everything. So, yeah. So it was good yeah. to sort of get back to normal and all the awards were handed out on stage last night so it made for a long broadcast because yeah. they tried it with uh, not all of the awards being handed out i thought it was good i thought jimmy kimmel was good there were a couple of silly moments that made me laugh the, like the emotional support donkey yeah um and uh and then <laughs> the uh fake cocaine bear mauling uh nobel peace prize winner malala in the audience as jimmy kimmel was out asking questions of the celebrities uh, from people that were allegedly, <laughs> apparently emailing in, in questions of some of the celebrities uh, that were there. But no, I, I thought it was good. I just want to mention, so so Sarah Pauly, Canadian win, and of course the connection uh, to Manitoba there, that was great. I didn't know this until this morning, but uh, Brendan Fraser, i kind of forgotten he's a Canadian. Brendan Fraser won Best Actor, and it was actually a Montreal makeup artist that did his makeup for that movie, term, turning him into a morbidly obese man, uh, which is kind of cool. So that's a, a Canadian connection. Yeah. And then uh, there was another one, too, and I can't think of what it was now. No, I can't either. I was also surprised. I, I saw in, in a before the Oscars, some special thing, and they said, uh, they mentioned Brendan Fraser was Canadian. I was like, he is? I would never. I don't think I'd ever heard yeah. that before. And I looked it up, and he was born in the States, but his uh, parents were Canadians that had moved to America. Uh, and the other one was the documentary about the uh, Russian opposition leader. That was done by a, oh, okay. a, a Toronto guy. That was the other uh, Canadian connection. Here's, a, here's just a real quick snippet of what Brendan Fraser had to say. Uh, when he got the uh, Best Actor Oscar, and he was probably the most emotional of the night. Thank you again, each one and all. I'm so grateful to you. So that was cool. And then Michelle Yeoh winning uh, for Everything Everywhere all at once. I think a lot of people were really rooting for her. For all the little boys and girls who look like me watching tonight, <laughs> this is a beacon of hope and possibilities. This is proof 
that dreams dream big and dreams do come true. And ladies, don't let anybody tell you you are ever past your prime. <laughs> Never give up. So I agree, Jeff. It was overall, you know, it was long, but they all are. And, yeah. and it's going to be interesting to see what the ratings are like. Um, I'm not so sure the ratings are going to see a bump up. They'll probably go back down again. I, I think people, we, we didn't see a lot of political stuff last night, which I think was somewhat refreshing. I don't know. What do you think? No, I thought that too. It seemed like it really was, you know, focused on the movies and the, the everything everywhere all at once gang. They were, it was nice to see people really enjoying winning. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's, you just, try and you know not jump up and down like a crazy person or whatever but they were <laughs> they were really enjoying themselves they were happy yeah. to win and it was uh nice to see i usually when people get kind of weepy and teary when they're making s- speeches i kind of like tr- turn the volume down a little bit it makes me uncomfortable for whatever reason <laughs> but uh last night uh, everyone everyone was just in tears and it was uh yeah. it was fun to watch also the, the the movie all quiet on the western front the the German movie about World War mm-hmm. One uh, was they were a real nice and polite bunch, and I was like, "Well, how is it that the Germans are the, like the the most polite of all the people here?" <laughs> kind of struck well, and me that as weird. One, and, and that one's on Netflix too, if you want to watch yeah. it. Like a lot of this stuff is available out there, right? Uh, if if you uh, if you do want to watch it, and I kind of like that the Oscars spread it around last night, right? Like yeah. Top Gun Maverick got uh, best editing, I think, and best sound. sound. Yeah. I mean, there was there was kind of a little bit of winning everywhere. There was, and even uh, Avatar won one, and a couple of movies got shut out. I don't think Elvis won anything, did it? No. Uh, uh, no. no, and uh, the Banshees of In a Sharon got shut out, and uh, Tar, which was my favorite, got shut mm-hmm. out as well. But they did, it was, you know, as much as everything everywhere all at once won. They won seven, but they handed out 23 awards last night, so there was plenty to go around. Yeah. Any uh, big movies? And, of course, people can check you and and Brett out, The Couch Potatoes, every weekend here on CGOB, noon on Saturday, noon on Sunday. You've got the podcast, and we have you on the air once in a while. But any movies that are in the offing that you're excited about? Uh, Later this month, we were going to get Chapter 4 of the John Wick saga starring Keanu Reeves. I'm excited for that, except uh, Brett was telling me the running time is apparently two hours and 45 minutes for a John Wick movie, which seems very strange to me, but I'm excited for it. Jackie was, she is a big John Wick fan, and she told me the same thing. that And if you ask it, that it's going to be very long, and for her, she's a fan, so she'll be okay with that. But for me, uh, listen, I, I have said this before, and I don't know, I think you agree with me. If you can't tell a story in a couple hours, then maybe you're telling the story the wrong way. Yeah, that could be. And I mean, those movies, uh, as fun as they are, are kind of one-note movies. It's mostly just Keanu running around yeah. shooting people. So why would that need to be almost three hours long? Yeah, yeah. And did you like Kimmel? I thought he did a good job. Yeah, Kimmel's Kimmel's Kimmel, right? And like we were talking yeah. about on Friday, he did he did exactly what we thought. He it does the thing where he can uh he can, you know, make a f- make fun of Steven Spielberg to his face without <laughs> getting Steven Spielberg mad at him about it. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. he knows how to walk the line. It worked well. Joining us, Cynthia Carr, epidemiologist, epi research here in Winnipeg. Cynthia, good morning. Good morning. We don't talk to you as much on the air anymore. Are you, are you happy about that? Um, you know, I, I, I think it's important to keep the topic of uh, the importance of, you know, public health and prevention um, out there to continue that conversation. But, you know, certainly a break from talking about COVID every day is, is not a bad thing. 
Yeah, no kidding. Um, can you believe it's been three years? It feels very long and very short at the same time, and I'm sure um, most people can relate to that. You know, I think many people have experienced, uh, you know, a great deal of exhaustion, um, but also reflected on our resilience and um you know, just the way that we we reacted and adapted and and things that we could have done differently. Um, I hope these past three years that, you know, we've taken some of that information uh, to learn and move forward because I remember those early days, you know, when our prime minister was saying, get home and stay home. It was very frightening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sure was. Before we look back and then look ahead, and I want to do that with you, but before we do that, where are we right now with COVID in Winnipeg and in Manitoba and beyond, if you want? Because it's so hard now to get a sense of where we're at with the virus. It's out there. Uh, I hear of people getting it. Obviously, uh, we're a lot safer now with the vaccines. But where are we at? Where is the virus now in our community? Any sense at all? Well, you know, certainly across Canada, when we look at the data, we're still looking at in the 4,000 um, range in terms of numbers of people in hospital across Canada. Uh, we're still having more than 100 deaths uh, a week being reported in Manitoba, uh, you know, from the data that I can see. Uh, we're still, unfortunately, having deaths here as well. Um, you know, in the past month or so, I can see those deaths. They're, they're less than five. They're a small number, but there's still, you know, people that are dying from this. And, and to your point that you just made in terms of being in a safer place because of vaccine, we will only be in a safer place if people continue to get vaccinated um, because we know that the uh, duration, the length of time uh, that the vaccine works is not lifelong um, as with other vaccines. So, you know, we want to be really careful to keep that out there, that we're only safer um, because of a combination of the, the vaccine still being protective uh, for those of us that have been, you know, had an update in the last six months and, you know, with that combination of exposure as well. But we don't want to um, make people think that that means we don't need to continue. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, the virus, uh, the vaccine only works uh, if we if we get if we get them, and, mm -hmm. uh, and that's one of my questions for you. Uh, were you surprised in the beginning when we started getting when the vaccines became available? Were you surprised then at the pushback? People, a lot of people, not a lot, but some people not wanting to get vaccinated. And then, are you surprised now because I think a lot of people have not received the latest shots? <sighs> I, I wasn't surprised in the beginning by people not wanting to get the vaccine. I understand that this is, you know, a new technology that was being discussed. Certainly there would be questions, uneasiness. Those are normal and, and to be applauded to, to kind of question and wonder. I was surprised by the them. I was surprised by the degree of misinformation that was out there and the lack of understanding that that misinformation put people in jeopardy, not just mental health, but genuine jeopardy in terms of making decisions that were not actually in their best interest, but because they perhaps felt bullied or listened to somebody uh, that they trusted. Um, and they sort of applied that, well, I trust you in this context, you're an expert here. So now I'm going to trust you in this new context related to vaccine and infectious degrees about which 
you know, those people may not have actually had any expertise. So um, that was disappointing and surprising. And certainly we're seeing a continuation of that impact of misinformation, whether it be about war or disease. Uh, Social media uh, has made this very easy and very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Here's what frustrates the heck out of me, Cynthia. And there are a few things that frustrate the heck out of me. But here's what frustrates me. I will get people now messaging me saying, see, told you, right, uh, that, uh, you know, once you, ha- you, you know, you're protected, once you have it, you're protected. What I tell people is, listen, things that we thought early in, in this three years ago, early in the pandemic, proved to be different than what we thought because that's what science does. Science changes. Nobody was nobody was trying to hide anything. Nobody was trying to... We were going with the best information we had at the time with a new virus. Exactly. And at, to your point, science evolves. If we were still reiterating today what we were saying in March 2020, we would have learned nothing. We would not have evolved and we probably wouldn't be telling the truth. So we learn as we go. You know, we learned all kinds of things about um, messenger RNA vaccines, about treatment, about tests, about how COVID impacts more than just the respiratory system to give clues to, again, how to treat and identify this virus and more opportunities to understand how it can be prevented. You know, we talked a lot in the beginning about surface areas, cleaning surface areas, washing your hand, don't touch your mouth. All of those things are important, but those are learnings from things that we know in the hospital that, that, you know, surface areas can be contaminated in restaurant kitchens, in our own kitchen at home, in daycare. So, you know, we continue to apply immediately. Here's some things we know can be risk factors. Let's talk about this and continue to learn and you know masks is an example where there was that new layer of protection uh, that was very important but people reacted and said well why didn't you tell us to do that in the first place because we were continuing to learn yeah final question i think there's going to be a next time in my mind there's no doubt that we will deal with another virus like this maybe it doesn't reach epidemic uh, level maybe it does i I think we're going to be dealing with this again do you think we've learned enough to better handle it next time i i'm not so sure i agree with you entirely there will be a next time um as we continue, for example, to encroach into wildlife, um, there's more opportunities for those kinds of encounters. And, you know, we know that illnesses can transmit from animal to human, uh, humans through a process, uh, that other processes may occur, be occurring right now. We just haven't seen it in humans. So, you know, what surprises me to your question is that if this was, a, you know, a, a different kind of safety emergency, I don't think the public would be saying stop talking about about it, the public would still be saying, how do we know we're safe, whether it's air transportation, terrorism, whatever it may be, uh, pollution, we should be the ones banging down the door saying, what did you learn? What is your plan? So that we have a common goal, a common sense of purpose, because individuals alone, no matter what you or I 
do how, we cannot prevent uh, a communicable disease and we cannot address all risk factors by just wearing our mask and ourselves getting vaccinated. It has to be a common effort. And for that, we need to hold our leadership accountable, not in a negative way, but in an action plan way. What are you doing? Where are you developing the resources? When can we see the first phase of this um, you know, surveillance plan, etc.? Because there will be a next pandemic. And what we want to do is identify it early, mitigate the impact, and apply what we've learned and continue to invest in those technologies, um, including messenger RNA or other vaccines, treatment, testing, etc., ventilation. Cynthia, I appreciate you. Thank you for your time. You're very welcome. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.